Well, good morning, church. <clears throat> it's, uh, it's a privilege to be here with you this morning, and uh, it's an honor to be able to bring God's word to you this morning. Um, I hope that you come with great expectation that God is going to meet you and align your heart more with his heart as we're here this morning. And I really believe that when we open God's word together like this collectively and corporately, that, that he wants to, to align us more with who he is. We do that collectively, and I think the cool thing about Jesus is that not only does, that, does he do that corporately, but at the same time, he can do that individually with each of us too. And so whether you're here in this auditorium or whether you're online, I hope that you come with expectation this way, that Jesus, I want you to align my life deeper and deeper with you. Um, just a little quick bit more about who we are, Cindy, Cindy and I. Uh, we live in Mexico City. We have three kids, um, a daughter-in-law and a son-in-law. Who we, we love both of them dearly. And we have a grandchild. And I'm way too young to have a grandchild, but we have a grandchild, and that's awesome to be able to be here back in Canada and hang out with him. We got to celebrate his first birthday uh, a couple weeks ago, which was so awesome, so much fun. Um, we love to ride motorcycles. We love to hang out with the next generation. It's, it's our passion. And, uh, and so uh, if any of you here are, uh, are young people, young adults, or you're just really young at heart, Come talk to us after the service. We'd love to talk to you about ways that we could get you involved in what's happening in Mexico. As I was thinking about this morning and, and, and praying about, God, what do you want shared with your people this morning? God brought me to a, a passage in James. We're gonna be in James chapter two. So if you've got your Bible, whether it's on your phone or whether you have the old analog version in paper, uh, we will use our, our Bibles this morning in James chapter two. And I really believe this is an important uh, passage of scripture for today. Uh, it's important for the next generation, and it's important for those who aren't yet part of the church. See, the next generation isn't really convinced that the church is relevant, that the church is necessary, and yet they want to have spiritual conversations and they want to be a part of something that's bigger than themselves. The unfortunate thing is that in the news today, we get bad reports and negative reports of the church and church leaders and, and how the church conducts itself. And people don't necessarily see the church, the church being us, living the things that we say we believe. And so this morning, I want to jump into James chapter 2 and look at how actions speak louder than words. Actions speak louder than words. So let's read James chapter 2, verses 14 and following. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims that faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and be fed, but does, no, does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, it is not accomplishing, I don't, sorry, but <laughs> in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by, faith, by action, is dead. But some of you will say, you have faith, I have deeds, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. 
You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them on uh, off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Jesus, as we come to your word this morning, I pray that you would help us to hear the things that you want to say to us today. As we open your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit would impress upon us the ways in which you want to call us closer to you, but also the way which you want us to walk with you outside these four walls. And so Jesus, we come with expectation that you will speak, that you'll align our hearts more with your heart, and you'll give us a love for others as you love them. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So let's look at this in kind of three little chunks. James 14 to to 17 say this. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Man, James just jumps to the point in this. James jumps to the point of faith and actions, and he's like, here's an example. Someone is in need. Someone doesn't have clothes. Someone needs food. And the response from the person at church is, I wish you well. Go. But does nothing about it. Doesn't get involved. James calls us dead faith. As followers of Jesus, this shouldn't be our reaction. And yet, sadly, it happens too often. It happens too often that we actually don't take action with what our faith says we believe. And I think it happens especially when it makes us uncomfortable or is outside of our box or our comfort zone. We've got words but our actions don't line up. So how might this look today? My wife is having a conversation with her sister, and she's recounting a story about um, a protest at an abortion clinic. And there were people there with their signs, picketing the clinic, and yelling at the girls that were going in for their appointments. I mean, there was believers and non-believers there, and they were all there to protest that life is way more important, that, that God has the sanctity of life. It's true. Then this man showed up and he began to walk through the crowd handing out pamphlets for adoption. Pamphlets for how to get involved in fostering. Applications for being willing to, to adopt a child. 
And people in the crowd, the people in the protesters, began to get highly upset about this. What does this man think he's doing? And so they, had, they called the authorities and had him removed. You get the irony of that? I'm willing to stand there with a sign saying, don't abort a child. What you're doing is wrong. And yet not willing to even consider the potential of adopting a child whose mom decided not to abort? See, here's, here's the issue when our faith, with the faith and action don't line up there, is that the protesters, there's a lack of love. There's a lack of compassion. There's a lack of understanding the story. There's a lack of getting to know who these, who these girls are and what they're all about. Action is powerful. Action, I believe, doesn't just necessarily mean what we do, but it includes the attitude behind what we do and why we do it. But action is risky. Action is costly. So let's look at the example of Jesus. What was the cost? What was the risk that Jesus took? Well, we can read in in Luke 7 the reputation that Jesus received because of the people he rubbed shoulders with. We read in, in Luke that Jesus' reputation was he was a glutton, he was a drunkard, he was a friend of tax collectors, and he was a friend of sinners. And he gained that reputation because of the people he hung out with. Because he was there to obey the words of his father, which is to bring the kingdom to earth. To allow those who have not tasted and seen the goodness of God, that Jesus was gonna bring that to those who desperately needed a touch from the father. Our actions and reactions and attitudes should be the same as Jesus. To not be scared about rubbing shoulders and hanging out with people that are different than us. That don't believe the same way we believe. Because God calls us to be a taste of heaven for those who have not yet tasted it or experienced it. This deeply matters to the next generation. I think it also deeply matters to those that aren't part of the church. They want to see that what we say and what we believe line up with our actions. It's just that we don't say one thing and live a different way. We live what we say. DC Talk wrote a song called What If I Stumble? Some of you are going to go, oh, I remember that song. Some of you don't have a clue what band I'm talking about. That's okay. But the band DC Talk wrote the song, What If I Stumbled? And they started off with a quote from Brendan Manning, who's a scholar and writer. And I want to read you the quote. The quote is it. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. 
That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Let me read that again. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. That quote was made famous in 1995 by DC Talk, and I believe it's still relevant today. And when he talks lifestyle, he's not just talking about, you know, you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't chew, and you don't go with girls that do. That's not what he's just talking about. That's part of it, but the other part too is that our lifestyle, that what we say we believe, we actually live that out. If we say that Jesus is ultimately love, do the people that are outside the four walls of this church know that we're about love? Do they know more of what we're against or more than what we're for? That's our lifestyle. We can have the reputation of Jesus because we're about what we're for, not about what we're against. And we know how to love people well. But then James goes on into this great debate. Verse 18 Here's the great debate. But some will say, I have faith. You, you know, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. The great debate between faith and deeds. The problem is you can't separate them. If you have faith without deeds, what you end up with is legalism. Let's go back to the to the story of the, the protesters. I want to reiterate this. They can stand there and yell at their signs and say that, that Jesus, for him, life is sacred and you shouldn't kill babies. And those things are true. But it becomes legalism because, remember what I said before, it lacks love. It lacks compassion. It lacks understanding the, the girl's story who are going into the appointments with the doctors. And it lacks getting involved. Lacks getting involved. But the other way around, if you have deeds without faith, what you end up with is social justice. When I was at Arrow Leadership, we had a guy come to one of our, our weeks who, he ran, the, he, he ran the largest men's shelter in LA. And we became director of it. They were quite like proud of of what they did, they, they had the largest men's shelter, they fed men, they, they housed men, they, they dealt with their addictions, they, they tried to help them get back on their feet. And, it, and all of a sudden he began to realize, hold on a second, we're missing a massive piece here. We're a Christian organization. We need to start diving deeper into who Jesus is, that Jesus has something better for you that, that, that Jesus wants to transform things. Not that we just want to help you beat your addictions and get back on your feet and give you a place to, to stay and a, and a meal to eat. Not that we just want to meet your basic human needs, but we want to meet your eternal need, which is knowing who Jesus is. And so they become a social justice organization, and then he made some major changes, and it was cool to hear some of those stories. And so there's that great debate, but you can't separate faith and deeds. They have to go together. And I love what James does next to even 
hit this point a little more. James says this, starting in verse 19. You believe that there is one God. Good! James is taking his readers back to the Shema. Some of you go like, well, what's a Shema? Some of you know what that is. But the Shema is a central belief of Judaism. The central focus of Judaism, and the Shema is found in, in Deuteronomy 6.4. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That's the Shema. James is bringing them back to that central belief system, the thing they hold on to. Yes, the Lord our God, the God is one. We will love him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all your strength. And then I love what James does next. He goes, so what? Did you see the so what? The so what is this. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Demons believe it and they want to cancel it. Demons believe it and they want to destroy it. See, words can be shallow. Words can become meaningless. But our actions and our reactions and our attitudes, they speak volumes. They speak volumes. And then we go into two examples. And I love the two examples that James uses. And so we're gonna look quickly at Abraham. The example of Abraham. We love this story, right? We love the story of Abraham, but we often just focus on the last part. God provides the sacrifice. But this story's crazy. It doesn't make human sense. Abraham is 99 years old. Sarah is 90 years old. And God says, I'm gonna fulfill my promise to you, Abraham. You're gonna have a son. And out of that, your descendants will be that of the sands of the seashore. <laughs> Could you imagine at 99 years old having a son? No thanks. Uh-uh, been there, done that. Got spit all over the t-shirt. Don't, don't need to do that again. And then... Isaac, who at the time of the story, scholars have this kind of range, he's probably somewhere between 12 and 20 years old. And so let's go on the shortest end at 12 years old. At 12 years old, Isaac's gonna put some things together. Dad says, hey Isaac, we're gonna go up on the mountain and we're gonna offer a sacrifice. Okay, dad, let's go. I got the wood on the donkey, let's go. Where's the sacrifice? I don't worry about it, Isaac. <laughs> I was like, mm, that's strange. And then they get to the top of the mountain and they set up the altar and I'm sure in Isaac's mind, he's still going, where's the animal, dad? Now, this is total speculation. I don't know, but I know 12-year-olds enough that the 12-year-old isn't gonna go, okay, dad, tie me up and make me the sacrifice. I wonder if they kind of ran around the altar a little bit, well, Abraham chased them down to, to get him on the altar, I don't know. But it doesn't make any sense, does it? And Abraham lies, Isaac on the altar, gets the knife up and Jesus goes, hold it, time out, time out, Abraham. 
What I love about this story is such a picture of faith and deed together. Abraham was willing to walk in this craziness, not understanding what God is up to and really doing. That, that this promise that God gave him that it finally came to reality that God wants to take that away from him, then how is he gonna be the, the one that has descendants that's like the sand of the seashore? What's gonna happen? This doesn't make any sense. And yet, Abraham knows that God doesn't break a promise. I don't know if I could have done that as a dad. I think about my kids. But there's this strength in this faith and action together that is such a good example to us. But I love the second example that we seldom talk about. Let me read it for you before we talk about it. Verse 25, in the same way, not, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Rahab, the prostitute. We don't talk about this example often because it's out of our comfort zone. It doesn't fit in our box and how God's supposed to work and the people that God's supposed to use. And yet, I love the fact that James put it in here because she's an example to us of faith and action together. If you study Rahab, you'll find that she was in the business, in her business for like 40 some years, 40 years for sure. The story goes that after Jericho that she eventually marries Joshua. But I mean, who knows what that all looked like. But we do know this. She was not an industry that God would highlight. And you kind of, my brain goes like, why did the spies from Joshua go to a prostitute's house? Now, probably it's the best place to hide. You're probably not going to look for two of God's men in a place like that. It's probably a good place to hide. But here's what happens. Rahab hides them, lies to those coming looking for them, and then when Jericho is destroyed, who's left? Only Rahab and those that were in her house. I love this story because Rahab puts into action what she seems to understand about God. And through this whole process, we know from her story that after Jericho, she became a believer. I don't know how that all works. It's out of my box. It's out of my comfort zone. But I think it's awesome. We like clean and tidy and things that fit in our box. We like clean and tidy and things that fit in our box. But our God isn't tidy and isn't clean and he doesn't fit in our box. And so what's the so what about all this? I hope you're getting the picture. Actions speak louder than words. It's not gonna be neat. It's not gonna be tidy. 
It's gonna take us out of our comfort zones. It's gonna make us uncomfortable. However, faith and deeds together is powerful. Faith and deeds together equal a fearless faith. There was a a youth pastor who got tired of watching the students in his youth ministry, the the couples in his church, and people in his church destroyed by the pornography industry, industry. And so he gathered a group of people around him that were gonna go to all those expos, set up a booth inside those expos to simply say, you matter to Jesus. And Jesus wants to love you just as much as he loves me. And Jesus wants to bring transformation in your lives as much as he's transformed me. And so they went in, and they simply went there to be the love of Jesus to those that came to the conventions and those that were putting on the conventions. And say, if you want out of this, if you're part of the industry and you want out, come talk to us. We will journey with you to get you out. If you want changes in your life, come talk to us because God deeply cares about you and God embraces you and God cares about you and so we want you to be there. They got bad reputation for this. There's people outside picketing and talking in the name of Jesus how this is crude and disgusting and perverted and blah, 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 blah. Yet these guys took action. And I believe when we put action and deeds I mean, put action and faith together, we get a fearless faith. Church, I believe we're at a crossroads, especially with this next generation. We're behind them in some ways. See, the next generation, they see things, they interact with things, they approach scripture differently, differently than we have historically. That's okay but let's put our feet in and get involved with them and walk with them and journey with them and talk with them about what matters. Be open to their conversations, open to their questions and not be fearful of it. Let's have a fearless faith, church. I believe if we're going to be good news to the next generation and globally, we need to have this fearless faith. We need to put our actions together with our words. And so I want to leave us with this question this morning to think about, to ponder, to process today and maybe in the next coming days, and that's this. Church, are we willing, are we willing as Christ's people to have the same reputation he did?